Have you ever noticed how much our society loves Christmas compared with Easter or other Christian celebrations? Christmas is a $966.6 billion industry. $966.6 billion. Easter, only 2.5% of that at $24 billion. What about Ascension Day? Zero. Nada. Nothing. Nothing is spent on Ascension Day in our society. How many in our, in our society have even heard of Ascension Day? The day when he who was once a little baby ascended to his throne at the right hand of his father. Our secular society seems to be okay with Jesus as long as he's in a feeding trough. But now that baby being in that feeding trough is not insignificant. That's not what I'm saying. That in itself is a scandalous, wonderful thing. The God of creation enters his creation with nowhere to rest his head. The point is, our society is happy to keep him there. A baby Jesus in a manger doesn't make many demands of us. As we transition from the holiday season, here in the Great Commission, Jesus gives us three reasons why the Lion of Judah can't be left in the manger by society, and certainly not by us, even as the new year dawns. You'll notice in the passage that Jesus gives us two truths about himself and sandwiches a command right in the middle. Look with me. In verse 18, an identity statement. Jesus is powerful. In verse 19, the command, proclaim the gospel. In verse 20, another identity statement, Jesus is present. I know it's a little weird, but let's go back to the last verse that I just read, verse 20. These are the last words the incarnate Son of God wanted left ringing in his disciples' ears when he ascended. I know this isn't the way we typically study a passage, but because these are Jesus' last words... These are the words I want to start with. I am with you, says Jesus. This is the Christmas message, isn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus wanted us to find our comfort here. Before we continue, let me pray for me. <clears throat> our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, as I speak, I pray, asking that the words, of my uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, Jesus is present, Emmanuel, God with us. There's another reason that I want us to start here at this verse, and that's because for some of us, anything that Jesus has to say to us seems meaningless unless we know that he's present. Why does Jesus' power and command matter if he isn't present? This brings us to our first point. Point number one, Jesus is present. As I was writing this message early one morning, I heard my two-and-a-half-year-old son whimpering over the baby monitor. I picked up the baby monitor, pressed the mic, and here's what I said. I said, hey, hey, son, listen, listen. I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. You can go to sleep. The whimpers stopped. Look at, the ver look at the middle of verse 20 with me. The word behold. Jesus says to the disciples, behold. 
Some of your Bibles will say lo, some will say surely, and some will say remember. All that to say, hey, hey, this is really important. For some of the disciples and for some of us here today, we need to hear this behold as my tone with my son. Hey, hey, I'm here. There are others of the disciples and of us that need to hear this behold as, hey, hey, stop, stop, breathe with me. I'm here. Like when someone's having a panic attack and you're trying to get through to them. Hey, hey, stop. 2023 was hard. Some of us are asking Jesus, where were you? Where were you? It might not feel real, but Jesus says to you today, I was there in the hospital room. I was there in the darkness of your bedroom. I was there in the appointment with the specialist. I was there in the fight with your spouse. I was there in that loneliness. I was there in that panic attack. I was there in that numbness. I was there in that car accident. I was there in the HR's office. I was there in that counseling room. I was there. I am with you always, all the days, the birthdays, the chemo days, the good days, the bad days. Is that hard to believe some days that God is present, powerful, and caring? If so, you're in good company. Turn back with me to verse 17. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Who did Jesus give the great commission to? It was to doubters. Doubters like you and me. Standing there face to face with Jesus after all his miracles and fulfilled prophecies, after his very rising from the dead and seeing and even feeling the wounds in his hand and side, even with all that, some of them still doubted. Sometimes we think if we could just have the same experience as the disciples, if we could see him face to face, if he was standing right in front of us, if we could see the wounds in his side and see his pierced hands, that it wouldn't be so hard to trust him. But here the disciples were with the resurrected Jesus right in front of them, and some of them still doubted. Look at it with me. Some doubted. All worshipped. Doubt doesn't preclude worship. That is to say, if you're waiting to be doubt-free, you may never worship. All human beings doubt. But the worship of a doubter is a precious thing. Jesus said, it is to say, Jesus, I'm having trouble trusting you. But I trust you to help me with that lack of trust. Or, in the words of the father who asked Jesus to heal his son, he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus doesn't disdain the faith the size of a mustard seed. But that seed of faith in some of the doubting disciples didn't get them health, wealth, or prosperity. It got them killed. Every single one of the 11 disciples present here in this passage overcame their doubt in the end and were willing to suffer for it. An example, Doubting Thomas, right in his name, Doubting Thomas. Imagine getting called Doubting Thomas for the rest of your life or for 2,000 years. If you speak to any of the Indians in our church who are here from Kerala, they'll tell you there's a rich Christian heritage there and elsewhere in India of people who call themselves Thomas Christians. They trace back to Thomas, who became a missionary to India. He eventually died in Mylapur near Chennai. If that's what God can do through doubting Thomas, then I wouldn't care about going down in history as doubting Aaron. 
God used doubting Christians to move mountains. It would take heaven and earth. A mountain would have to be moved for the gospel to make it from 11 weak disciples in a town, tiny town in the Middle East to, to a religion of 2.6 billion people in the earth today. Here, to Mississauga, a city on the other side of the planet, on another continent. The fact that we are sitting here right now is proof that God uses doubters. When you look back over 2023 at all this year held, Jesus was there. If it's hard to believe, if it's hard to trust Jesus' presence even right now, you're in good company with the disciples. Will you, like them, worship in the doubting? So first, while the world may want to leave Jesus in the manger after Christmas, as Christians, we need to know that Jesus has never left us. Second, Jesus is powerful. Look with me at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In the book of John, before Jesus' resurrection, Jesus made it very clear to his listeners that he wasn't speaking on his own authority, but the Father's authority. In John 12, 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me, he has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Now, here in Matthew 28, Jesus says this has changed. Now Jesus says he speaks on his own authority. This is the Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us. This is who is here, standing in front of a few scared, doubting disciples. Not just another Jewish or Roman leader hungry for power, but someone far, far, far higher than them. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, God the Father didn't just raise Jesus from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, crowned him with many crowns. You see that word there all in Ephesians 1 and in Matthew 28? I looked it up in the Greek, and you'll be fascinated to know that the Greek word for all means all. Can you imagine what this would have meant for the disciples? What it means to us? Jesus, you mean you have authority in heaven where you're ascending to, right? No. Heaven and earth. Such an idea is terrifying, even seditious to a society that rejects Jesus. That's why they're happy with a Jesus in a manger or a light and airy Jesus somewhere away in the clouds. But a living, kingly Jesus with real authority? Uh Uh-uh. That's exactly what Jesus says, though. There are two realms, and he has authority over both. Earth is not left to itself. In fact, his will in heaven sets the model for its realization on earth. We just sang it, and I prayed it. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, may your name be holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Say it with me. On earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How could the disciples go out from that moment to pray for and evangelize to the very Roman authorities who had the disciples' names plastered on their most wanted posters because it was the king of kings who sent them. During this prayer service, we're going to pray for our own kings and all who are in high position. Why? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
because we pray the Lord's prayer that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we expect him to answer. Because as Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. We pray for kings and rulers because Jesus can do something about them. Because as Revelation 1 says, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. What do we pray? We pray for them as our neighbors because as rulers, they have a great deal of responsibility to obey Jesus the king. We pray for them to repent because as Psalm 2 says, the kings of the earth scheme against the Messiah, but they are warned to kiss him lest he be angry and they perish. And Jesus not only has authority over the kings and rulers of the world, but also the one they serve, the devil himself. Remember all the way back in Genesis 3, God said the coming of the promised offspring would mean the crushing of the head of the serpent. Remember Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The NIV says he shall crush your head. But let's go with bruise. Those of you who've ever had a concussion, apparently a lot of our young adults, know that getting kicked in the head is a whole lot different than getting kicked in the foot. This is why Daryl W. Johnson says, it is fashionable to say in some circles... Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. That is not true. He is alive, yes, but well, no. Getting kicked in the head is a whole lot different than getting kicked in the foot. This is why Jesus the offspring came. In 1 Peter, it says that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Jesus the offspring came to bring his kingdom and plunder the devils. He talks about this in Matthew 12, where he's casting out demons, and he says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus casts out demons. The kingdom has come, and Jesus is taking the devil's stuff. Another way of putting that is in Colossians 2.15. We are are told that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what does this triumph mean? It means hope. God used to allow the nations to walk in their own ways. Paul says we were all separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In fact, we happily and blindly exalted the devil as God of this world. Just like Israel, we gave up our rightful king and put someone else on his throne. But the same king we rejected came to rescue the very nations who rejected him. Jesus says in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus was lifted up. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. In Matthew 4, 16, he says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The mystery that was kept secret for long ages has now been disclosed and made known to all nations. This is why we go. Matthew 28, verse 19 does not say go. It says, go Therefore, it is because Jesus is present and powerful and at work and conquering 
the sin, the devil, and unblinding the eyes of the nations that we go. This leads us to number three. Jesus is to be proclaimed. The disciples could go in confidence to the nations, baptizing them and teaching them because they are Christ to inherit for the work he did at the cross. We go with Paul to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among all those who are sanctified by faith. As it says in Acts 17, 30 through 31, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I've underlined it for you. All people everywhere. Kings, rulers, lawyers, bakers, builders, scam artists, white-collar criminals, graphic designers, homemakers, accountants, and he has lots to say to all of them. His commands, he commands all people everywhere to repent. And he commands you to go and teach others to obey King Jesus, starting with baptism. Do you doubt that God can use you to share the gospel in 2024? If he has all authority, authority over kings, rulers, the devil himself, if in him the whole universe holds together, if he could break through your hardened heart, he can use you to share the gospel with your friend, your relative, your coworker, and he has the authority to change their heart. Another whole year has gone by without that person bending their knee to King Jesus. We must go. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you want beautiful feet? Do you want a free pedicure? Preach the gospel. We are on the offensive. Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know if you know this, but gates aren't an offensive weapon. They're meant for defense. The devil and his power are being pushed back. Jesus won. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. And Jesus means for the church to break down the gates of hell. The command continues as long as he is present and has the authority. There will be a day when the Great Commission is complete, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a day when he is no longer with us and the Great Commission ends because we will be with him. But it is not this day. If you're here today and you haven't bowed the knee to King Jesus for his victory over sin, death, and the devil, you need to know the gospel isn't a request. It's a command. It's not give Jesus a try. You don't give the king of all the earth a try. It's not pray to accept Jesus into your heart. It's pray that he would crush the hardened crust of your heart. It is what Jesus said all throughout his ministry, which was repent and believe.